Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Friday, January 13, 2023. A South Sudanese politician is missing in the capital, Juba. Um, what we understand is that he had a meeting with somebody and that's where he was taken. And we haven't heard from him since. And the head of the UN mission in South Sudan says the government should prepare grounds for the upcoming 2024 elections. It will be crucial that South Sudan meet all its critical benchmarks, particularly those that are time-bound. And this will require a sense of urgency in the coming year. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The special representative of the Secretary General and head of the UN mission in South Sudan is calling on the government to fast-track programs aimed at ensuring free and fair elections in the country. Nicholas Heisen says widespread violence in parts of the country could threaten the smooth implementation of the 2018 peace agreement and scheduled 2024 elections in the country. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayer reports from Juba. Addressing reporters in Juba Friday, Nicholas Aysom says there is little time left for the peace partners in South Sudan to create a conducive environment for holding credible elections in 2024. He says 2023 presents a window of opportunity to prepare for the upcoming elections. It will be crucial that South Sudan meet all its critical benchmarks, particularly those that are time-bound, and this will require a sense of urgency in the coming year. I, as I shared with the Security Council, my fear is that slippages in meeting the timeframes will have a domino effect on key benchmarks that will be crucial down the line. Progress needs to be accomplished this year, 2023, not next year, and benchmarks that have been missed need to be recovered. The 2018 revitalized peace agreement had required South Sudan to hold its first general elections in February 2023. But last year, the parties agreed to extend the transitional period by another two years. ASOM says the parties implementing the peace agreement should redouble their efforts to ensure elections are held on time such as establishing a legal framework and preparing the ground and environment for the conduct of elections. It's important to ensure that the electoral process is transparent and fair, South Sudanese owned, and that the results will be acceptable to all segments of the population. Additionally, the electoral process must be carried out in a secure environment, free from violence and intimidation. It must be complemented by the necessary political and civic space to allow for open dialogue, debate and and campaigning. This requires dealing with the fault lines and divisions that have fueled violence over the past decade. Self-evidently, those conditions are not here yet. The top UN diplomat in South Sudan says he met with President Salva Kiir this week and discussed some of the challenges facing elections. This violence and fighting, disturbingly characterized by tribal undertones in many areas, is particularly damaging 
It poses a real threat to the gains achieved so far and could even derail the peace process. Every one of these conflicts leaves behind a legacy of bitterness and division. Michael McQuay, South Sudan Information Minister, says the government is working to ensure that all that it takes for a free and fair elections is achieved before the election day. We are sure that we will conduct elections. We have already signed a, a law for the constitutional making process. We have signed the Political Parties Act. We have signed the election law. What else? Communal violence cannot stop elections. But they are already ending now. What do you want us to tell you? To tell you that we are sending forces and we are doing this, we are already in the process of stopping all this. The army's boss says the UN mission in South Sudan identified Jongle, Warap, Western Equatoria, Central Equatoria and Upper Nile states as some of the hottest spots posing threats to implementing the peace agreement and holding elections next year. ASOM says the UN mission in South Sudan will carry out preventative diplomacy to deter communal violence in the country. We have undertaken and will continue to undertake thousands, thousands of violence deterring patrols by land, air and river to difficult areas and will establish and continue to establish temporary operating bases in all hotspots, thereby curbing deadly violence in many areas. Also, we've cleared 4,792 kilometres of roads and 1,300 square kilometres of landmines and other explosive remnants of war, protecting civilians and enabling the UN and partners to deliver life-saving aid. ASOM notes that South Sudan remains the most dangerous places for the humanitarian workers, a country where 9 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance. For VOA News, I'm Manyang David Mayor in Juba. Still in Juba, a South Sudanese politician who has been criticizing the government of South Sudan has disappeared. Family members of Charles Kisanga, who once served as a state minister of information in Western Equatorial State, say he was picked by a known group this week during a meeting at a hotel in the South Sudan's capital, Juba, and bungled into a black van that drove away. Mary Kisanga, the daughter of Charles, says her family have not heard from their father since Monday. She's appealing to authorities in South Sudan to intervene and find the captives of her father. My relatives, um, they're also not um, sure what's what's going on. Um, Again, uh, our source of information is the media outlets and the information that's coming through on Facebook, on these news platforms. So we are all um, keeping an eye on these stories. Uh, we, uh, we don't know which sources uh, we can believe or which ones we can't. So it's a very tricky situation. Um, the Azande community uh, organized, you know, they organize everywhere they go. And in Juba, I, I believe there is a community there. What are the community members telling you? Um, I have not uh, spoken to anyone from the Sunday community directly in Juba. I've only been dealing with family members so far. So, um, yeah, we, we, we're just focusing as a family at the moment. Um, 
And what about the meeting that uh, Charles Kisanga went to attend and, at uh, Mona Classic and uh, he was allegedly picked out from the meeting? Do you know anybody who attended the meeting? What I know from that is only what I've read, that he went to this hotel to meet with an individual. So when we heard the news yesterday um, from family members, we didn't actually know about who who was meeting or that it was a hotel. All we heard yesterday was that he was taken and um, we weren't sure who by or if he was with somebody. But as um, the news is coming out from all these media platforms, um, what we understand is that he had a meeting with somebody and that's where he was taken and we haven't heard from him since. Your father is a, he's a South Sudanese and a British citizen. Any words from the British Embassy in Juba? I have not had correspondence from them but I, I, I don't want to discuss that because um, I don't know what will happen with that in terms of his citizenship and who's getting involved. So I'd rather not comment on that at this precise moment until I have some more information. At this point in time, if you're given an opportunity to speak straight to the authorities in South Sudan, what would you tell them? Uh, please uh, help find my father. We are desperately worried. Um, uh, this situation's never happened to us before. Um we, we just want him back unharmed. We feel that things can be resolved by discussion. We don't care about what uh, the politics is or um, what the motives are. We just want him back uh, safe and unharmed. And then discussions or mediations about whatever's going on can happen afterwards. We're very peaceful people here. Um, that isn't the message from my family. We're just really, really worried. Um, Charles is a family man. He does have kids, so the youngest being five, so it's very worrying to all the family. Did he ever given any hint to you that, you know, he is afraid of his, for his life in Juba? Did he discuss any, you know, concerns with you? Um, no, those are not things... Uh, our conversations have been about family, um, it is like Happy New Year, uh, that sort of thing the last time. So, um, What is the next course of action for the family? It's, it's not fun when you are not able to hear from your father and you don't know where he is. What is the next course of action? This is a situation unexpected. I will never have to deal with such a thing before. Um, and we appreciate any help um, that can be provided to us by the authorities or anybody that um, knows of the situation on, and how we can move forward. That's Mary Kisanga, daughter of Charles Kisanga, a South Sudanese and British citizen who was picked by a known group in the South Sudan's capital earlier this week. She was speaking to me from an undisclosed location in the United Kingdom. Foreign ministers of France and Germany have arrived in Ethiopia to support a November peace deal between federal and Tigray authorities to end two years of brutal war. Maya Miskir reports from Addis Ababa. The French and German foreign ministers Catherine Colonna and Annalena Baerbock met Thursday with Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed in a visit to support the Tigray peace deal. The November deal has seen steady progress with basic services restored to the Tigray region, increased aid and a first handover of heavy weapons by the Tigray People's Liberation Front to Ethiopia's federal forces. Witnesses say Eritrean troops in December withdrew from at least two cities in Tigray, but it's not yet clear if they intend to leave the region entirely. 
The European leaders will also meet with officials at the Addis Ababa headquartered African Union. The AU brokered the Tigray peace deal and its monitors arrived in the region this month to oversee its implementation. France and Germany also want to help with food insecurity caused by a record drought in the Horn of Africa and a squeeze on grain supplies and increased food prices from Russia's war on Ukraine. The two-day visit includes a trip to a World Food Program warehouse in Ethiopia's Oromia region where donated wheat from Ukraine to help address the hunger is being stored. The French and German governments finance delivery of the much-needed grain and are expected to announce fresh aid to people in areas affected by Ethiopia's brutal two-year civil war. German Foreign Minister Baerbock said her visit was intended to support Ethiopia on its way to lasting peace and accountability for human rights abuses. UN investigators say there is evidence of war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by all sides in the conflict, including rapes, torture and extrajudicial killings. A UN report in September said the Ethiopian government and its allies also used starvation as a weapon of war, which it denies. Researchers at Ghent University in Belgium estimate half a million people have died in Ethiopia since war broke out in November 2020 from conflict, hunger, disease and lack of medical care. The UN says millions were displaced in the war and more than 5 million Tigrayans need humanitarian aid. Maya Misakar for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. Coming up, the International Monetary Fund says Zambia should address corruption. Find out why after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... What is your favorite meal? I like chips and uh, anything bright, whether chicken or, or beef. My favorite meal is our fish, mainly jambo, and uh, local vegetables like in Kwani. I love chapati. Like, I, I don't know why I love chapati, but I just love chapati. There's no reason for loving it. Like, chapati is every day. My favorite meal is uh, jollof and rice with chicken. That, that would be best for me. My favorite food, matoke, that is banana and, um, and beans. Banana and beans, yes. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Zambia's former ruling Patriotic Front Party has rejected a report by the International Monetary Fund about corruption during its government. The IMF said this week the political elite under the former president Edgar Lungu bent rules to access lucrative government contracts. Current President Hakainda Hichilima pledged to tackle corruption and secured $1.3 billion in IMF debt support after Zambia defaulted creditors. Reports. An IMF mission conducted a study last year focusing on governance weaknesses in Zambia at the request of local authorities. The assessment revealed serious weaknesses across all state functions, especially public financial management and the granting and managing of contracts of large infrastructure projects. It said the cost of high-profile projects were inflated by as much as 200% under the rule of President Edgar Lungu with the extra money going into the pockets of well-connected 
connected Lungu supporters. Several former government officials were arrested on corruption charges. However, the arrests ended in bail with defendants denying their accusations. No convictions have been secured. Patriotic Front spokesperson Rafa Onakachinda denied the IMF allegations of large-scale corruption under former President Edgar Lungu's rule. Nakachinda told VOA that while in government, the Patriotic Front had put in place measures to ensure transparency and accountability in public procurement. He challenged the current government to take legal action against any of its former leaders found wanting. We ensured at the time that we were in office that all government contracts go through a rigorous public bidding process to ensure transparency and accountability and there are sufficient laws in Zambia to allow citizens to object, appeal or challenge any government contracts they deem is shrouded in corruption or fraud. The tender process is a public process and therefore those allegations are malicious. Presidential spokesperson Anthony Bualia told VOA that the IMF report is a confirmation of what the government of President Hagainde Hichilema has always known, that corruption in Zambia had worsened under the Lungu administration. This is why now the president has made it a fundamental priority to win the fight against corruption as part of the process towards rebuilding the economy. We have set up the financial crimes fast-track courts to expedite the process of holding perpetrators of grand-scale corruption accountable. We have also reformed the public financial management systems for better transparency, as well as reforming the public procurement processes. For Boyd Molea, an economist at the research organization, the Center for Policy, Trade and Development, the IMF report is an important step towards enhancing the fight against corruption in Zambia. We are happy that there is a drum up towards ensuring uh, that uh, the rule of law is brought back, that transparency is enhanced. For example, we still have yet to hear uh, the progress of the access to information law in this country. The Jesuit Center for Theological Reflection, a faith-based non-governmental organization that champions social justice, told VOA the alleged corruption affected the poor the most in the past eight years because they were left without access to basic social services like water, food, sanitation and health. According to the World Bank, about two-thirds of Zambia's population lives on less than $2 a day. Kathy Short, VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. President Joe Biden's lawyer said Thursday more documents have been found at his home in the state of Delaware. Earlier this week, classified documents from the Obama-Biden administration were reported at a Washington think tank that Biden had used as an office after serving as vice president. VOS Laura Bauman has the story. It's been an embarrassing week for the White House since news broke that classified documents were found in November at a Washington think tank where President Joe Biden had worked after serving as vice president. And today, the White House announced that more documents had been found found at a Biden residence in Delaware. The Democratic president spoke Thursday, saying his lawyers had gone in search of the classified papers and turned them over. As I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. 
I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. But Republican leaders were quick to cry foul, saying Democrats had gone after former President Donald Trump hard while the FBI was searching his Florida Mar-a-Lago home and removing classified documents from it. This after Trump left the presidency. Newly elected Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, said this about President Biden. Here's an individual that's been in office for more than 40 years. Here's an individual that sat on 60 Minutes that was so concerned about President Trump's documents locked in behind. And now we find it just as a vice president, keeping it for years out in the open in different locations. A special counsel is investigating whether Trump committed a criminal offense in failing to turn over classified material, especially after repeated requests from the National Archives and a subpoena from the Department of Justice. Thursday, Attorney General Merrick Garland said the Justice Department was also appointing a special counsel to investigate classified documents found in Biden's care. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. U.S. law says that classified documents from presidencies go to the National Archives and not elsewhere. Laurel Bowman, VOA News, Washington. We love to hear your remarks on our stories. My colleague Nabil Biagio is ready with this week's listener comments. Over to you, Nabil. Thank you, John. Many of you who contacted us this week focus your comments on efforts to quell intercommunal violence in parts of South Sudan. We start with these recorded messages. I'm James Roy Majok from Bentington, South Sudan. Hi, Neville and John Tanda. I want to make an appeal to South Sudan government to have hurricane intervention uh, that can solve the ongoing fighting in Junglei, a big administrative area ruin and unity state regarding cattle raiding all this need a good mechanism that can resolve all this and we have peace and harmony among ourselves thanks hello john danga and the build viajo good morning this is mabora langrengu in the rumbek lake state the striking of the drivers union at the Board of Numeli will affect our country. As South Sudan defends on export from Kenya and Uganda, therefore, this needs an urgent intervention from our government so that this driver continues to supply South Sudan with goods in order to uh, calm down the economy of our country. Thank you. Uh, hello, VOA. Uh, I am Akola Jet Michael from Bor Town, Jangulay State. I'm commenting on communal fighting in my country, South Sudan. Uh, You know, this communal fighting is not a new phenomenon. It has been going on since the 80s. But recently, it has actually gained interesting phenomenon. Take, for example, the fighting between Warab State and Abia administrative area. You know, uh, what makes it, what makes this particular fighting between Warab State and Abia administrative area uh, interesting is that uh, 
Warap State is the state where our president comes from, His Excellency Salfakir Mayadid. And, uh, you know, it, this, make, this actually makes it very interesting because uh, this is the state where the president comes from and they are the ones actually uh, causing or uh, causing that aggression against their neighbor which is a big administrative area and uh, what makes it more interesting is uh, how the president himself keeps a sleepy eye on this so this is actually what makes some of us uh, the citizens to voice our uh, you know to to give a voice to this because it's something very unusual Saber Isaac Hamis from Yambio in Western Equatorial State says, Hello Nabil, it's very hard for someone to express their desire for peace in a country which is highly militarized like South Sudan. The two states of Jongule and Pibor should reunite and be one state. Otherwise, the community of the two states will finish themselves. May the souls of the lives lost rest in eternal peace. Peter Goj, Anyang Majongdul in Sharikat says, The effort made by Jongule State by handing over 68 children and women is an indication of peace and coexistence among the two states. Let the authorities in Greater Pibor Administrative Area learn about this good move and trace and hand over abducted children and women who are with their armed youth. Mading Malwal Alwong in Juba writes, Our smiles after achieving our independence is meaningless to youths who are fighting among themselves. I thought the effort we have was to be used for daily activities to compensate our suffering during the struggle. I condemn the communal conflict in the greater Jongule state. Citizens, you may have to define independence before you engage in such a crime. Somewhere more, Inye writes... Hi, John Tanza and Nabil Biagio. I am deeply concerned about the ongoing intercommunal conflict in Bor and the Greater Pibor Administrative Area. I am appealing to parliamentarians, civil society organizations, and religious leaders to find an amicable solution to bring this conflict to an end. These are our people whom we protect whenever we plan to make business. Gerkwath Manong Jongkujek from Bentiu writes, Hello, John Tanza and Nabil Biagio. The deployment of unified forces to Congo is a good move, but what we need as citizens is to prioritize the inner security inside our country. In other words, I urge the RT Gono to deploy forces to hotspot areas in our country. And thanks. Joel Philip Kwan in Numuli Town in Eastern Equatorial State writes, Hello, VOA, the national government and the Jongule state government should rethink the fighting between the White Army and Morla youths, which may cause a worsening humanitarian situation in both the administrative area of Pibor and Jongule state. However, both governments must take an amicable solution in order to bring the deplorable situation under control. Guya Moses John from Bidibidi in Uganda writes, Hi, VOA News. The fresh communal fighting in Bor, Lake State in Upper Nile region was a violation of the 2018 peace agreement and I'm encouraging our government in Juba not to give up by not interfering in the violent areas of South Sudan. 
Martin Manuel Wugol in Gubo says, Hello Nabil and John, allow me to extend my New Year wishes to South Sudanese people and urge them to be optimistic because 2023 is the year of peace and blessings upon the citizens of South Sudan. Kindly pass my special greeting to the following colleagues, Jacob Jor in Rumbek, Peter Goj Anyang in Juba, Malith Mading Jongtiang in Rumbek, Burkadi General Wugol in Majakater in Nasser. Thank you. Boboya Francis Wani from Ye River County writes, Hello, Nabil and John. As a concerned teacher, I am really requesting our National Minister of General Education Instruction, Honorable Awud Dengetwil, to seriously reverse the education calendar back to its normal form, such that our parents will have enough time to look for finances that will enable them to pay their children's tuitions. Otherwise, two weeks' holidays won't be enough for them. And finally, Martin Manilwugol in Gubo says, Thank you, John Tanza, and your colleagues for updating us, South Sudanese, with what is happening around the world. I condemn the extrajudicial killings of three guys. Why are we, South Sudanese, mistreating our image by carrying out the killings of ourselves and foreigners? I urge our leader to bring the perpetrators to face the law. Justice must prevail. In addition, it is a good move by the Sudanese military to end power so that peace, love, and unity must prevail for citizens in Sudan. Power cannot solve their problems as they have sat down and discussed it. Therefore, let it be done according to the way they have agreed upon. May Almighty God bless the South Sudanese and Sudanese people so that they can enjoy their own countries. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or of this program. We appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. Keep those comments coming. Keep your voice and text messages short, and we shall sample some of them every Friday. Our WhatsApp number is plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That's all we prepared for you this Friday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us next week.